the biggest one, of course, the biggest breakthrough was the agreement to set up the loss and damage fund. I think, um, you know, this is one which would offer vulnerable nations um, financial assistance in grappling with the climate crisis. Again, no numbers or targets were set, but we take this as a win because um, activists have actually lobbied for this fund for over 30 years. And that was Olesimbo Sojunrin, Chief Operating Officer or COO for Solar System. Welcome to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm your host, Matuba Matlachi, sitting in for Christina Skierka, who's founder and CEO of Power for All. Power for All is a global campaign of over 300 partners around the world working together to accelerate universal electrification with renewable energy. You can learn more about Power for All on our website, powerforall.org, all our socials, and of course, by subscribing to our fantastic newsletter. As a 501c charitable organization, Power for All depends on the generosity of listeners like you. Please consider supporting our work at powerforall.org forward slash donate. Today's episode will reflect on the outcomes from COP27, which has just concluded in Egypt. And to do just that, COO at Solar Sister Simbo, as we affectionately refer to her managers and provides inspirational leadership, direction and coaching to Solar Sister's program operations. Simbo is one of Nigeria's leading clean energy advocates and a role model for women's leadership in the energy sector. She's been a lifelong advocate for young people and women. She has worked as a director at the Women's Consortium of Nigeria and manager at British Council, where she led multiple youth climate change projects. Simbo is a powerful voice for promoting renewable energy and women's empowerment in Nigeria. Before we get into our conversation, Simbo, for, for listeners who would like to know more about you and Solar Sister, please give us a brief introduction and direct our listeners to where they should go to learn more about Solar Sister's work. Okay, so Solar Sister provides women with economic opportunity, training, technology, and support to distribute a range of clean energy products to underserved communities in Africa. I mean, we, re- we recruit ambitious, uh, hardworking women. We train them through our customized monthly training curriculum and equip them with the essential skills needed to generate income for themselves as well as for their families. Um, you can learn more about us and our work on our website, which is www.solarsister.org. There you would learn more about our operations in Nigeria, Tanzania, and Kenya, where we've recruited over 8,000 women entrepreneurs who have together reached over 3 million people with their products. Now that you just came back from COP27 held in Egypt, before we get into what transpired there, share with us uh, the mission and vision you had when you headed there uh, to represent Solar Sister. All right, just so prior to COP, I mean, this all the news and media and frenzy, it was that this year would be Africa's COP. I mean, you know, it's been held in Egypt and the expectation really was that we're going to hear breakthroughs about, you know, climate change in Africa specifically. Um, um, But for us at Solar Sister, um, we have the three most important issues that we work on, which are gender equity, climate justice, and energy access. And I was really looking forward to hearing concrete advancements in any or even all of these three things. 
And of course, just because of the share size and the number of people or climate actors that attend the COP, um, networking was also on the agenda, meeting with other actors and um, other partners to continue to advance our work. And and your overall impression of it, do you feel that it, it lived up to being Africa's core? Oh, uh, I mean, one of the words that was used to describe the COP this year was it was organized chaos. Like it was chaotic. And I think for me, maybe because this was the act, my first COP, um, it was borderline overwhelming. So there's lots of important people, lots of conversations happening, but everything is, seems like it was happening in silos. And even at the negotiations themselves, there's just so much back and forth about the words. Um, and, you know, not for me, I didn't really get the outcome for Africa. I didn't get that um, African cope. I didn't get that resolution that I was expecting. Right. And now let, let's reflect a bit about where both you and I come from. And, you know, we live in the biggest economies in Africa, and but they're struggling to keep the lights on. And that's minimizing the chance of those who never had electricity to even get access, you know. And it's quite frustrating because we, we live a day where we have to work around the power outages that, that happen in our daily lives. Let, let's reflect on that a bit from your side. Right. I mean, right before COP, our president, President Mohamed Bahari, put out a statement in the Washington Post. Um, it was titled, How Not to Talk with Africa About Climate Change. And in that, I mean, he discussed the hypocrisy of asking developing nations not to use their resources to power development and how developed nations have failed to meet their contributions to adaptation funds, etc. I mean, while he made some valid points, three quarters of Africa's population still lives without access to modern energy services, with most of these people being here in Nigeria. Um, and for the majority of the communities that we work, that Solar Sister works in the low-income communities, um, we find that the burden of energy poverty um, falls on a woman. Women here are also the backbone of the economy. So if you look at things like farming, preparing produce, selling to the market, um, producing goods, um, a lot of these informal sectors actually are handled by women. Um, but you find that, um, you know, and this, ties in with one of the biggest challenges I had with the COPE as, you know, the negotiations just become about words and there seems to be that disconnect to the actual people that it's affecting. I mean, in the sheer size of it and literal noise of such a large event, many important people having several important conversations, all I could do was zone out and think about my women in the South, South and South East of Nigeria who are currently living in camps because their communities have been overrun with floods, you know, or think about the needless deaths associated with indoor air pollution because of the way people are cooking and because they don't have access to modern energy services. I mean, when you reflect on this and think about, you know, why are we still where we are now after several years um, of, of exposure to technology or to solutions that can actually help. So these are some of the things that I, I also ponder on myself. Yeah. And, and, and you know, your, your points fall nicely into the next question, you know, about, about how the one thing that scientists, climate activists and NGOs 
albeit outside of formal negotiations, was the urgency needed for climate action? You know, because you speak about a whole community that's now, you know, in fl- flooded and have been displaced by floods. And w- would you say in this COP, we walked away from that conference with some sense of satisfaction that we will see the action? I, 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 I can already feel from the points you've made that, you know, we have moved very little and little has changed. And But from, from Solar Sisters' perspective, please spell out what the urgent matters you think are that should have been addressed at this COP, perhaps. So I'll come back to the three things that we focus on, which is gender equity, climate justice, and energy access. So I will say for women, um, I mean, for this scope, women were underrepresented. Um, Of the 110 leaders that were present, only seven of them were women. You know, I think I read an article from BBC that even the negotiating teams uh, made up only 30%. 34% 34% of them were also women. And I mean, this is the lowest that we've had since 2017. It seems the numbers are going in the wrong direction. And this is despite the evidence that women and girls bear a disproportionate burden from climate change and that without greater representation, climate change cannot be adequately addressed. So across the world, we know that women depend more on natural resources, yet they have less access. Um, If you look at our continent as well, we also have the most people living without energy access. Again, um, and not proudly, Nigeria has the most um, of such people, right? Um, Electricity reaches only half of our population, um, while clean energy access is only about a third. If I go back again to that um, paper um, or the the publication that the Nigerian president put out, um, he made a statement saying the Western countries are unable to take politically difficult decisions that hurt domestically. Instead, they move the problem offshore, essentially dictating that the developing world must swallow a pill too bitter for their own voters' palates. Mm -hmm. Africa didn't cause the mess, yet we paid the price. At this year's COP, that should be the starting point for all negotiations. So this was his paper that he put out. Um, But from my experience, it wasn't the starting point at all, um, as we were unable to get any firm commitments from the developing countries um, on things like um, emissions reduction um, um, and and, um, just the accountability, really, even for the past funds that they had committed to. So... Um, yeah, it was still about these three issues. For us, it always comes back to these three issues. Yeah, I, I may have seen that article by President Buhari in the Washington Post, and and maybe this what this is what helped me form this question to say we it, we're going to see how politicized the climate change discourse will become over time. And we went to this climate conference with a raging war in Ukraine that saw the energy prices skyrocket. How do you think the energy sector landscape will change due to political and, I can say, geopolitical developments that are taking place right now? Yeah, for me, I think it's really unfortunate that politics plays such a huge part in the climate crisis. You know, I am a, I'm a strong believer that change will come from collective action of individuals um, who are educated about this crisis, about the climate crisis, and willing to make the changes that it requires to reverse its effect. I mean, this is why I believe that the work we do here at Solar Sister is so important. It's building that network of change agents 
providing solutions to the energy access in their communities. Because I would say our countries have failed us, especially, um, you know, and I think this is around the world as well. Um, it's not just a developed versus developing nation conversation, but it is a conversation that regardless of what we say and what politics we, you know, we accrue to it or attach to it, there is an imminent threat. Um, and we need to, um, you know, we all need to take action. And, and I really believe that our action starts from the individual. So um, I think, yeah, it's, we really need to find out how to take out the politics and really get down to the work because that's what we need for climate change. Yeah, and, and taking you back a bit to what you said about the things that you, you thought were, were wasting time um, at COP, like things like the wording of certain clauses and agreements and so forth, you know, but instead of committing to this obvious solution to reduce emissions, negotiating parties insistent, insisted on using the wording, accelerating efforts towards the phase down of unabated coal power and phase out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies that that's that's a quote from one of the the, the what came out at cop 27 what is the implication of this move for for the work that solar sister does in your bid to end energy poverty yeah again this this quote um doesn't show commitment to actually tackling the climate crisis that we have at hand um you know there's a threat to most of the global south and island nations which are predicted to feel the most devastating effects. Um, there needs to be concrete actions, um, concrete decisions with numbers so that we can hold people accountable. It's not really about making statements or being political or diplomatic about the words that we are using um, in reducing emissions. Um, emissions got us here and we need to reverse the effects. Um, at Solar Sister, of course, we know that solar and other forms of clean energy are the best way to power off-grid homes and communities. So whether it be an urban health clinic or a family compound in a remote village, we believe that these renewable energy technologies will bring the healthiest, safest, most sustainable, and ultimately the cheapest way to power people's lives and improve their well-beings. Um, we know that when people can access clean renewable energy like solar lamps, um, solar home systems, and even clean cook stoves, their families are healthier, the children can study longer, and the communities are more stable. So the technology is here already, um, and we're investing in local women to bring this technology home. We know that local women, when local women start a business, they invest in extra income to improve their families and their communities. So, you know, we've seen this over and over again in the work that we do. Um, and we know that investing in local women is a win-win. True, very true. Now, you've already expressed the, your disappointments and and the things that came out that you, you didn't expect out of COP27. But is there a consolation prize that you came back home with from, from this COP27? I mean, the biggest one, of course, the biggest breakthrough was the agreement to set up the loss and damage fund. I think, um, you know, this is one which would offer vulnerable nations um, financial assistance in grappling with the climate crisis. Again, no numbers or targets were set, 
But we take this as a win because um, activists have actually lobbied for this fund for over 30 years and it's finally here. So that will be, I think, one of the biggest breakthroughs that came out of COP this year. Um, another one for me, which I saw or which I observed was the participation of youth and young people. Um, I think this came out strongly as well because really the future is theirs <laughs> and it is imperative that the voices of the youth and young people are included in this conversation, not just as tokenism, but actually contributing to decisions made. So um, I've always said, I believe the youth are the energy that we need in the energy sector. And I was very happy to see their representation in numbers, sitting on panels um, and really contributing um, to the discourse. So that, that, that to me were two positives I can bring, take out of it. Oh, wonderful. Great. Thank you. And Simba, can I just ambush you for a, you know, end of year message to people in the sector and everybody else who consumes Powerful or Podcast and people who follow Solar Sister, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, in you know, I would like to wish everyone um, a fantastic holiday and happy New Year's in advance and ensure let's ensure that our holidays are clean uh, um, and that we are doing you know we are making a commitment to do one thing next year that will help the that will help the environment just one thing yeah yeah well and well i hope you have great a great holiday and a well-deserved break now now that you've worked so hard throughout the year and thank you so much for your time for joining the powerful all podcast uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Matuba. It was great being here. And it's a wrap for our podcast for the year 2022. Join us again for another episode at the start of 2023 for all the leading sector news. Until next time, goodbye.